Welcome to the Misfit Stars podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hi, everyone. Shannon and I are a married pair of working artists, and this podcast is our weekly date for getting on mics and talking with one another. By the way, mics means microphones. That's like <laughs> audio person shorthand, but I should say microphones. There isn't a person named Mike here. Nope. No. No, and we are not on them. <laughs> so anyway, we're getting on microphones, and we're talking with one another and with our community about stuff that's mattering to us this week. We're so glad you're here. And hi, sweetheart. Hi, honey. Hi. No announcements today. No. So let's jump right into how you feeling. How you feeling? <sighs> Thanks for asking. Uh-huh. I feel positive feelings today. Oh, good. I'm feeling centered mm. and I'm feeling engaged. That's good. Uh-huh. Great. I just feel kind of grounded. Uh, yesterday I felt a little bit ungrounded, but then like we worked through it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think we both kind of did. I don't know, I can't speak for you, but mm-hmm. I got that sense, mm-hmm. you know? But then, like, we worked through that, and I got a really good night's sleep. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit too much, but I kind of needed it because <laughs> I haven't been sleeping enough this last week, I don't yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Um, just staying up late and then getting up excited about stuff, <laughs> you know? Um, I'm so happy for you that you're feeling good today. Yeah, thanks, I am. But I'm not feeling, like, boisterously good, you know mm. what I mean? I'm feeling, feeling more of, like, a serious I good. get it. Plenty of work ahead this week. Yeah. You know, lots of stuff to do today. And then uh, Ben is coming back for more recording Tuesday, Wednesday. It's just a busy week. I'm mixing a song for another person, you know, mm-hmm. all this stuff going mm-hmm. on. But I'm ready to do it. I'm focused. I feel good. Awesome. I feel engaged with the work I have to do and in a good place to do it. I'm glad to hear it. How are you feeling? I have a mixed bag, I guess. I am feeling a little bit agitated slash discombobulated. Good words. Yeah. You know, and I I think that this probably has to do with, there's like hormonal stuff going on in me. I'm a 47-year-old woman. Mm. And I I wonder, I, 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 I here's the thing. Like, if you just take a step back and look over the course of my life at my sort of like emotional landscape, mm-hmm. I'm a pretty even person. Generally, You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and that has always been the case. Like part of that was rooted in my codependency because right. like I was praised for being the even easy kid mm. and like I, I was able to help sort of, or I thought that I was helping to make peace around a house that could sometimes be chaotic because of a couple of members in my household mm-hmm. who made it so... Um, you know, so so that's part of part of a result of like my upbringing. But I think generally speaking, I have in my life had a pretty positive outlook mm-hmm. and like just had a sort of like the ability to sort of be even keeled a lot of the time. Yeah. So because that's sort of the backdrop, and then like you know, obviously the last couple of years in our world have been a little bit wild and so like I do leave room for the fact of like having sort of more emotional ups and downs being somewhat related to that potentially you know like the pandemic heck the four years of Trump and all of that PTSD from that for sure yeah you know and and the ongoing threats to our democracy and all that kind of stuff like there's there's good reason to feel to have feelings that are a little bit more uneven keeled Mm -hmm. you know but that said I I think that there's maybe something else going on in my body mm. as I'm mm. nearing closer and closer age 50, which sounds so weird. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm 47 and I know that I have other uh, women friends who have gone through perimenopause, who like started in their late 40s going through perimenopause. And so that could be happening with me. Mm-hmm. And like, I know that this is something that can take years and years sometimes for a woman to go through. So like, it could be that I'm at the beginning stages of that. And just like, because every once in a while, I feel like I don't have as much access to uh, the parts of me that allow me to to get to that even keeled place. Like, I, I feel like a little bit more than I'm used to, my emotions kind of like, taking me on a ride, you know, mm-hmm. which, you know, is, is fine. Like, I, I'm, I'm trying not to place a lot of judgment on that because you know, there will be, there will be, there are changes happening in my body, you know, like in all of our bodies all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So that's just natural. And, you know, I just feel like it's, you know, I, I just don't, there's no good reason for me to feel agitated or discombobulated, but uh, but I sort of am. <laughs> and, um, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that that's negative, you mm-hmm. know, like it's, it's just a, uh, having sort of recognized that, I feel like I need to make a really conscious effort to double down on like staying really on top of like checking in with how I'm feeling and 
if those feelings are telling me about needs and, mm. you know, like actually doing something about it and not just, not just being whipped around at the, you know, tail end of my emotions, right. you know? Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I'm also feeling really, appre- like I feel just a, a deep sense of appreciation. Like I feel appreciative and thankful that I have a partnership with somebody who is willing to give me grace during my <laughs> less even keeled times. Mm, well, hey, same. Thank you. And but also just, you know, to be able to talk through stuff with you and and to feel like generally speaking, I have I have support in my life when I when I need it. When I, you know, like I've got yeah. I've got places I can lean. And yes, um, that's true. So I'm really thankful for that. And I'm I'm gonna be okay. It'll be it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's what I'm feeling. Right on. Yeah. Yeah, do you have any good news for us? Can we have some good news machine? Yeah. I've got one thing to talk about. Okay, what is it? And it's just a little thing, but it's actually kind of a big thing too. It's one of those little things that's actually kind of big, which is that the Biden administration uh, this last week restored California's ability to set its own emissions rules for cars. Oh, I remember when Trump did away with that. That was yeah. so infuriating. It had been the case for a long time. Yes. Like states could just kind of do their own thing. Yeah. You know, federalism, what Republicans are supposed to like, <laughs> but not authoritarians. Right, 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 right. Double standards galore. It's weird when authoritarians are Republicans, you know what I mean? Because like there's such a distance there because Republicans are supposed to not want the federal government to tell you how to do things, just let states do their own thing, mm. you know? typically for worse. But then, you know, if you're an authoritarian, you kind of want to tell everyone how to do everything. I, and there's a real clash there. I think that the, that probably what you're saying here is that it's never been principles-based. It's always been about power. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> whatever path it is to the more power, that's what they're for. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> so anyway, this is a big deal because California obviously is a massive market for everything, including automobiles. Is, isn't that like the sixth largest economy in the world? It is. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So like rules that California makes for for the car industry really reverberate around the globe because like, yeah. and certainly around the country. Cause because like Ford can't be making two versions of the same car, one that meets California's right. standards and one that doesn't. So basically California can kind of set emission standards. That's awesome. And they're not dicks about it. You know what I mean? They're not like everyone has to be hundred percent electric in a year and a half. It's right. not like that. <laughs> yeah. But like they have really been at the tip of the spear in terms of driving yes. like improved emission standards yeah. globally. Yeah. And it's a huge deal. And the Trump administration, because everything that they were about is basically like, fuck you, California. It's just like That was middle, their policy yeah. toward California. Middle finger to California. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and, you know, they were like, no, you can't do that. And they made up some bullshit reason that wasn't really a reason, but it was just F you, California. And it was just an executive, like, yeah. administrative decision. It wasn't like a law that they passed. It was just a regulation yeah. that they lifted or... Something. Something, yeah. yeah. It was an executive order type of deal. Yeah. And the Biden administration has has reversed that. And Delete. Good, yeah, <laughs> totally. Because, I mean, first of all, just on the principle of it, you know, different places should be mm-hmm. able for certain kinds of things to have different approaches, particularly when those are positive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess we can maybe have good faith debates about what positive is in this, but I don't think really. I mean, I think that probably like doing stuff to make it so that we don't like die from climate well, stuff is probably the, like a positive. Yeah, I mean, as long as, as long as like Congress has is immobilized in terms of their ability to, to address like national policy to address climate change, it's going to be up to, you know, smaller entities like states to to make moves that like push us in that direction. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, we could debate whether it's good or bad to maintain a livable planet, <laughs> but there's not really an argument on one side of that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of, yeah. Well, I mean, there's the Christian argument. Oh, let's not even get into that. <laughs> Uh, I don't mean, like, there's the Looney Tunes Christian argument, I should have said. Because there are reasonable Christians who are good people who think good thoughts about things, and, and we who, know many of them. And, who, and that's great. And who take the command in Scripture to be good stewards of the earth seriously. Yeah. There's the Looney Tunes ones that are like, well, maybe this is the apocalypse, and we'll just all get to heaven faster if yeah. we all die. Premillennial <laughs> disp- dispensation, am I right? It's crazy town. It is literally crazy town. Yeah, so we're, you know, those of us who aren't trying actively yeah. to invite an apocalypse. Right. You know, just want to maybe preserve the livability of the planet, right. et, cetera, et cetera, Do you recall when we started our Good News Machine segment on this podcast? It was uh, the day after Biden's inauguration last year. Mm-hmm. Because um, 
<laughs> we had gotten into the habit of calling our 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 smartphones the bad news machines. Yes. Because every time there was a like a news alert, I would get like this, like my heart would start racing and like I would, I know. you know, like, oh I no, know. God, what now? You know, because it was, and then the, seriously, the night of Biden's inauguration, I, we got a couple of news alerts. We, we, we go to bed late, right? So it was like, you know, um, it was, I guess, coming to be like the following morning in Washington, D.C., like news happening. Yeah. And there was a couple of news alerts. I'm like, oh God, what now? And it was good news. And it was like, because it was a raft of stuff that Biden was doing as soon as he got into office yeah. to undo a lot of the crap stuff that Trump had done when he was in office. Yeah. So I love this. It's like a, it's a, we're hearkening back to the origins of our good news machine, like Biden doing executive actions that are actually good for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's nice. It is. So how about we get less dumb? Class, anyone? Anyone? Let's. Okay. All right. I think you've got a couple things, I've got huh? a couple Hit of me. things for you. Okay. So one of them is just like super fun. Mm -hmm. And the other one made me think. And so uh, the first one, that's just the fun one. Uh, I saw this tweet. Um, the person who tweeted it, she goes by at the blog S. So if you want to look it up, you can do that. Um, and she tweeted this image uh, that comes from, um, it was actually from, I think it's like a NASA image, I believe. Mm. Or it's it's from data. Well, let's see. who it, it, Images from NASA. That's right. So here is the here is the um, the fun thing. Okay. Uh, all planets in our solar system, mm -hmm. if you line them up one after the other after the other, like stack them up together, mm -hmm. they can all fit in between the Earth and our Moon. Whoa! So like, there's this little image. It's this great image. It's like there's there's the Earth, which is you know over here on the left, yep. and then there's our Moon over here on the right, much mm -hmm. smaller than our Earth, and then there's Mercury, Venus, Mars. Uh, they even have Ceres in there. Wow. Uh, Bonus planet. Yeah. And then Jupiter, which is massive. Let me see the picture. Oh, here's the, here's the picture. Oh, Jupiter I love is it. massive. And Saturn, which is also massive. It is. Saturn's had to be like at an angle, so its rings were not like in the equation here. Poking so out the sides, yeah. Right, so the, the rings are kind of like, you know, at an oblique angle, so they're not... We're not we're not considering the entire circumference of Saturn's rings in this equation. Only the planet itself. Only the planet itself. Yeah. And then there's Uranus, which is a bit smaller than mm -hmm. Saturn and Neptune, about the same size. And then teensy tiny Pluto, and then our Moon. But like all of that, all of those planets could fit in the space between Earth and the Moon. Wow. And let's get them in there. I'm kind of like <laughs> I'm kind of like my mind sort of explodes a little bit when I think about that because it's I. I I, I, did I think that this the, the distance between Earth and Moon was smaller than that? I think I did. I think I thought that maybe the distance between Earth and the Moon were smaller. I mean, like Jupiter and Saturn are massive. I mean, they're when very I, big. Yeah, they're like many, many like what would you say, like a hundred times the size of Earth. Like they're they're I mean, in terms of mass, sure, but in terms of width, how much? Just like the the diameter. What's the the radius? Yeah. The, yeah. No, it'd be the diameter. Radius is from the center out. Diameter is oh, the yeah, whole yeah, way across. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's just kind of, I don't know, it's mind-bending mm -hmm. and fun to think about. So, yeah. Okay, my, okay, great, my great. second item, I mean, it's fun, right? It's like, wonderful. Okay, all right, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I need moments of joy, okay? Just let me have it. Oh, absolutely. Um, okay, I'm 100% with you. Wonderful. I like space nerdery. Okay, good. Uh, my second one is just something that made me think, and uh, our our good friend and misfit star Katie sent mm -hmm. me this uh, video on Instagram this week. Uh, by the the account is at Rama Lau, um, and so you can look it up if you're interested. But um, he did this video about uh, <laughs> about this this new thing he found called capitalism, like a new product <laughs> advertising. Yeah, and, yeah. and it was you know. Cute. It is cute. It's one of those things that made me laugh and cry all at the same time. And like, but there was one thing, and so he's he's kind of sort of you know poking fun at, but also sort of revealing um, the ways in which capitalism sort of infects our beliefs about ourselves yeah. and about our place in the world, and like you know all that. It makes us feel just constantly insecure and yeah. inadequate. And, right. Well, yeah. the thing that really made me think was you know like one of the things he talked about was uh, how we evaluate and experience our own self-worth mm -hmm. based on how productive we are. Yeah. And I... Hustle culture. That really just hit home for me. And I, you know, it's something I've been, 
we've talked about it a bunch on this podcast. It's something I've been You were talking with me about it in the bathroom last night while we were doing showers. Was I? Yes, you were. I don't even remember. <laughs> yes, we were having a conversation about how you feel like because we're like supported by our community, like that you need to be constantly showing them that you're productive and doing work. Right, that's yeah. true. Yeah, like I, I struggle and with I, that. And my rejoinder was, I think the thing our community would like us to do the most is take a vacation. <laughs> Honestly, we never do. We never have. You know what I mean? And I think that if we just like posted a picture of us on a beach somewhere, they'd be like, that's, that's healthy. Yeah. I mean, and it is. And I, but I, I really just, it made me, it made me think like, but he, and, and the, the, the Instagram account, the person who posted this was, um, he, he did mention this phrase. He called it internalized capitalism, which is so like, you know, when you think about, I, I've, I've heard this phrase really in, with regard to like sexism, right? Like internalized sexism yeah. is me as a woman um, sort of buying into sexist arguments because I've been given that message over and over and over and like, you know, feeling like I need to just adopt or adapt to that system rather mm -hmm. than resist it, right? Yeah. So the idea of like internalized capitalism, like the, 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 my beliefs about myself might be altered because of the messages that capitalism gives us about what our worth is and how mm -hmm. our worth is tied to productivity. I think I need, I have some work to do around this topic, and maybe, I, and yeah. so it really made me think. I get it. Yeah, it made me think, and I, um, it, it's it's it feels like a good, healthy perspective on on looking at the system on which our society is built, and and yeah. figuring out how I want to relate to that. You know, I know. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's really, really, really hard, especially in a time of increasing wealth inequality, right? Because the, there's two messages happening at the same time. One of which is this idea that you too could be a billionaire. You actually can. <laughs> no, you, can't. you know what I mean? <laughs> but that's the goal. That's the dream. That's why people are so fawning over all these billionaire types. You know, like every single time Elon Musk posts something on Twitter, there's like. 10,000 bros just fawning, just being like, you're the best. Yeah, why you know? do you think that is? Why, do, why, why is there because a hero I think, status? Because I think they genuinely in their hearts believe and believe it to be true that he got there from the ground up based on hard work and that they could too and that he is what they should be, aspire to be. Hmm. None of that is true. No. He's an heir to a South African fortune built on blood money. You know, it's yeah. it's all bad. Yeah. And he has just basically been sucking off the government teat for his entire professional career, taking government contracts to, like, some of them no-bid contracts mm -hmm. to, like, quote-unquote develop things and, like, to leveraging that money to gain himself more wealth. It's it's mm -hmm. all bad. And it's, like, he's basically enriched himself with public funds. Yeah, and from already being rich. quashing labor, labor uh, rights in his own organizations, too, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's all bad. But I don't think that any of these people who are like fawning over him like un have any understanding of any of that. They just see rich guy and they have this belief that if they hustle hard enough, they one day too will be rich. Hustle culture is this real thing in our society, mm -hmm. you know? It's very toxic. Yeah. It's very unhealthy. It's very bad. Yeah. You know? If hustle culture were predicated just on the idea that the more I work, the more fulfilled and happy and peaceful I will feel in my own heart, that would be a different thing. But it's not. It's not yeah. based on that. It's just based on the accumulation of material right. resources, right. which is an unhealthy pursuit. Yeah. Like, it's fine and good to want to be successful, I think. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If it comes from a healthy place. Well, it also... Determine, it also matters what your definition of success is. Yeah, and you know? I think it's healthy to want to be able to provide for yourself and have a, a, a cushioned future, you know, take mm -hmm. some of the sting and uncertainty out of that. You and I have had to make a lot of peace with the idea of an uncertain future. Right. Like I kind of, you know, there's part of me that would not be surprised if we died in a box under a bridge. You know what I mean? <laughs> like our future is very uncertain the way we have set up our lives. Right. We have not set it up with like, you know, the kind the kind of trying to hold the wolves back from the door right. sort of fear of death thing that most people approach their lives but with. But here's the thing. Even people who think they've got a certain future don't have a certain future. At all. None of us have a certain future. It's just that you and I have gotten our arms around it better. We've been forced to. Right. I know? mean... I feel lucky about that. Yeah, I guess I have I have that... I have that... Uh, I've done that that sort of thought process around, like, our financial future or whatever. Sure. Or like our, but there's there's a whole other... There's a whole other discussion to be had about like, you know, our personal future. Like, I think I'm going to grow old with you. Yeah. I hope I am. Same. But like, that's uncertain. Everything's you know, like, uncertain. Everything is. Yeah.
Yeah. Well, gosh, really <laughs> makes you think. Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel less dumb. Why don't we cruise? Why don't we careen right into the suggestion box? I want to speak to your manager now, please. Sounds good. Um, so I have I have one suggestion box request. Um, I would like to speak to the manager, mm. and I would like to request that we have daylight savings time forever. Mm. Please, let's never switch our clocks back now that they've sprung forward. Let's just keep it here. Let's just yeah. keep it here and have the days be longer all year round. Like, I know that they're going to get short, like, yep. just length of time, but have the sun stay. Like, I just, I, I, and I understand that this is a probably colored with my own personal preference. Because, oh, sure. Because and I share I'm a, your preference. Because I'm a night person. Yep. Like. We don't see the morning. I don't ever see the morning. So, like. To have more daylight in the evening sounds lovely. And why would well we for you. Yeah. do that? Yeah, so it's my personal preference, mm-hmm. but that's my suggestion box item. What so, do you think? you know, uh, I agree with you. Okay. I am the same way. I would yeah. like the same thing in my life. Yeah. I am forced uh, by the, the duties imposed upon me by intellectual rigor sure. to point out that it's an anti-scientific point of view, that the overwhelming scientific consensus is that if there were a healthier way to do it, it would be to have permanent non-daylight savings time. Oh, really? For reasons of keeping our bodies more closely aligned with our circadian rhythms, which in vast swaths of the population, I mean, if you look at individual people like you and me, yeah. we, we thrive the other way. Yeah. But if you look at the population as a whole... Whenever you move to daylight savings time, depression and anxiety increase for really? a whole lot of people. Okay, so, yeah. but how much of that, and I and I haven't read the studies that you're talking about, how much of that is related to the fact that we have a culture that has required people to be up at the crack of dawn and reporting early to work because those are the rules. Maybe. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, maybe. what if people had more flexibility? What yeah. if we had a society or a culture that like, that, that started at 10. Well, that encouraged people to, to, to work more flexibly, like yeah. in, in periods of time that work better for them individually. But like, yeah. you know, cause I do, I do feel sympathy for people who, you know, who do have to be up early for work, you know, when daylight savings time hits, the sun rises later in the morning. And so I can imagine it would be really difficult, mm-hmm. you know. And I, and I can recall times in my life when I had jobs that I had to get there, you know, like when I was substitute teaching and I had to be at school by like 7.45 in the morning, yeah. you know, driving to school in, you know. In the dark. In the, in, yeah, kind of darkness. It was kind of hard, you yeah. know, like I get that. Um uh, I was miserable year round at that hour. Yes. So it's not like I, that really like- That's more of a you thing. It's more of a me thing, yeah. yes. But like, you know, I, I, so I definitely have sympathy for that. Uh, but I wonder how much the way that, that the time change affects us is intertangled with, intertwined with, tangled up with uh-huh. the fact of our culture having this like up early, out of early and like forcing that on people who otherwise wouldn't be- like inclined to have their most productive time. And again, we go back to the idea of like, is the goal to be productive? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like I wonder, I wonder how, gosh, when we talk about these things, like, I, just, I just think, gosh, we, could we just start from scratch? Could we just start like creating culture and society from scratch and like just do it better? Because there's so many ways in which we could just do it better mm-hmm. from the jump and, uh, but then how would rich people jerk us around? I, yeah. Are you thinking about the rich people when you think about I'm this? I'm sorry, I'm not. What about the bosses, I'm Shannon? not at all. I'm not at all. Well, that's my suggestion box. I know it's personal. I know that I'll, I'll probably get pushed back from plenty of people on this who think the opposite. Um, but that's what I'm asking for. And I mean, actually, like that's something that California, Oregon, and Washington states have already agreed to do as soon as Congress takes it up. Yep to actually make daylight savings time a permanent fixture in our lives. So we'll see how that pans out. And also, I bet that there's probably something about the idea that, like, if we didn't just keep, like, getting jerked around every six months, we would stabilize more, too. Maybe so. And maybe that would be less depressing for people. Maybe so. I don't know. Yeah, maybe so. Um, Well, you know what? I think it's time for us to uh, request some gold stars. Where is my gold star? Man, I think we've got some gold stars coming for sure. Okay. So uh, the reason is, new song. New song. We have a new song of Shannon's that we have made over this last week, and we are 
kind of didn't. Well, we're not debuting on the podcast because it came out Tuesday. That's yesterday. But we are talking about it on the podcast for the first time on that's this podcast. That's right. That's right. Do you have any setup that you want to do? Sure. So we're going to play it for you. The song is called Little Soldier. And, um, you know, we're, we're working through this whole album project is working through sort of stages of personal work to get to the point of, of cultivating serenity and grabbing hold of genuine agency during difficult times. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the journaling that I've been doing personally um, on this topic is taking me to through the, the ideas of, you know, uh, the, the big stuff that's keeping me up at night is, you know, the, the threat to democracy by authoritarianism in our country and around the world and also climate change. Those are the big, issue, the big issues that, that can really, you know, get me worried and... Um, and amped up. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we we went through the process of like, you know, the first, the, the second song that came out was about, you know, really naming the the thing. Yeah. Like face, naming the monster under the bed, right? And the second song, the th third song, excuse me, uh, in that was, um, was really talking about like the feelings that come as a result of like looking at that big scary thing. Um, and uh, this, uh, this song, uh, the fourth song in our in our project um, is really about sort of coming to terms with my powerlessness against a lot of my against a lot of this. Mm -hmm. And powerlessness is a tricky word. I think like it's a it's a big word. It's a tricky word. I think for some people, the word powerlessness can. Um, can induce a feeling like it, it can it maybe maybe they think it's a synonym for weakness or a synonym for like being robbed of agency disempowered yeah. yeah but i don't think it's that i think that it's my experience of it is different mm -hmm. um because i think that that the irony in accepting my own powerlessness in certain circumstances is powerful like there is power in doing in admitting powerlessness yeah for sure because the thing in which the things in which I'm uh, for which I'm I'm recognizing my powerlessness are things that I genuinely don't have power over and never will, never yeah. have, never will, because there are some things that you just don't have control over. Yeah, like you know, and we're actually going to get into the specifics of that in the next song. Oh. So foreshadowing here, mm. but this was just this this song is a meditation on coming to terms with the fact that me trying to change things that I can't change and that I don't have the power to change and the experience of doing that and the, the experience of being defeated over and over in that effort and what that does to my sense of myself, my beliefs about myself, what that does to my spirit, you know, and how it disempowers me to keep going back into that, that effort that is always going to fail. Like this is, this song is sort of a, a sort of a meditation on on that, on that exercise and coming to terms with uh, my own powerlessness against things that I don't have the power to change. Right on. That's what it's about. And it's called Little Soldier. And should we listen to it? Here it is. Okay. I went to a war And I knew I couldn't win Oh, 
gets me. Does it? Mm-hmm. How? What do you mean? I love the circularity of it. I love how it ends where it began. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really powerful way to sort of underscore the sometimes repetitive journey yeah. that we have to go through with this kind of stuff. Yeah. You know? Uh, it has a surprising lift in the chorus, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> like, you think you know where it's going to go. And like, you know, anyone who's listened to your stuff knows that you're probably going to get a lift at the chorus. But it really lifts up more than you would expect, mm. but also in kind of a contained way. But it feels very powerful. Mm. Uh, I feel kind of like shot out of a cannon there emotionally, mm-hmm. a little bit speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that, uh, to me, like, what the reason for that is that like you're trapped in this cycle, right? Like I'm trapped in this cycle of going back to the same war that I know I can't win, you know? And then getting, like there, there's, there comes a time when you just, it dawns on you like a big flash. Yeah. Oh my God, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And it's just like, you can't, like, you can't contain yourself at yeah. that moment. When you have that realization, like, you know, when I first got into recovery, mm-hmm. you know, how many years ago was that? 17 plus years ago. Um, I, there was a moment when I, I saw, I saw how I was powerless, mm-hmm. you know, for the, like, I saw, for what it was, the cycle I had been in that was killing me mm-hmm. of trying to change things and trying to control things I don't have the power to change and mm-hmm. doing that over and over and over. And when I finally saw, oh my God, I can't do this anymore, I couldn't get into the recovery room fast enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was yeah. just like, I cannot be contained. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's like, how I, I felt when I got sober too. Really? It took me forever to get there, but once I got there, you couldn't get me out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd like a gold star. Uh, for 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 working through this mm-hmm. song and writing it and and for making it, I I just I would like a gold star, please. All right, let me think about it. Okay, <laughs> you get a gold star. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything in the production and mix of this song that you would like to request a gold star for? I I personally could assign you some gold stars all on my own. Really? What would you like to assign you, me gold stars for? Okay, I'll do it. So I brought you this song, and I. 
I it was it was more of a sketch than a fully realized entity than I that I usually typically like to bring to mm-hmm. you. Like it was. I, I knew, I, like, I, I had things in place that, like, I felt like this is where it's going. But you took it and just completely elevated this song. Like, you, the this, the the new sounds that you introduced, you replaced some stuff that I had done, You and, and like, the, the new textures you brought to it, and the way you just, like, massaged it into place made it everything that I had in my mind it should be, but I had not, I didn't have the skills to take it there. But you totally did. You like you got it, and like thank you. Clearly, you got there because you listened to what the intention was, mm-hmm. and you pushed it more in that direction. Yeah, you're so good at your job. Oh, jeez, gold, gold stars for you. Wow, thanks, sweetheart. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. And I have one thing in particular that okay. I'm super proud of. Okay, which is at the end. Yeah. Like right before there's that last little coda bit that's just like the first bit, basically, yeah, you know? Uh-huh. Right before that, there's like the big sort of bridge part that just ends all of a sudden on this, and this thing just kind of like echoes out. Yeah. And then the vocal comes back in after that. Yeah. And it comes back in in a very specific place that I chose after a ton of experimentation that's <laughs> absolutely not on the grid. And that's not on, like, if you if you counted one, two, three, four through the entire song, it would yeah. not be on that grid. It's not coming in on, yeah. on beat one of, of three bars down the yeah. line or yeah. something like that. It's like, I don't even remember. It's like three bars, two beats, and three eighth notes or it's something un- random. untethered and random. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I just somehow had this sense that it needed to come in in a very specific, way, like not waiting too long and not too short. Mm-hmm. It was a really Goldilocks mm-hmm. kind of place for that to yeah. come in, and I really feel like I got it. So you nailed it. Want to request a gold star for that? Gold star for you. Hell yeah! Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you so much. Yes, yes. So uh, this feels important. Please hold for a very important message. Do you have an item for this feels important? I do have an item. What is it? And you know, we don't have to talk about it a long time, but I just want to touch on gas prices. Okay. People, it's funny. People in our, our community have been like. Like literally asking us, like in one case, messaging me personally, like, yeah. why are gas prices so high? That's you know, so funny. <laughs> like, yeah, because you're an economist. No, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm more of like a gas priceologist. Oh, okay, okay yeah, 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 <laughs> highly learned. Yeah, no, I'm not, but you know, I pay attention. So here's the thing: there is a pervasive and very pernicious myth out there, and it has been planted by conservative disinformation forces, right? That says that we are dramatically over-leveraged in our consumption of Russian oil, right? Okay. That like 10% of our gas comes from Russia. Mm. You know, first of all, we don't get gas from Russia, we get oil, but you're fine. But you know, moving forward, (laughs) um, Europe gets gas from them, but they're different products, people. They're different products. Natural gas and oil are different, yes. Yes, they are. And so, you know, there's this there's this myth out there that you know the United States because of Biden is completely over leveraged because of Democrats in general and never right. because of Republicans our, our, energy, our energy policy is dramatically too reliant upon Russian you know oil products mm-hmm. and so therefore you know because there's a war happening we and because we've created this embargo which by the way Republicans asked President Biden to do. Right. Republicans in Congress over the last month have been hammering him, asking, you've got to do embargoes on Russian oil. You've got to stop imports, uh, start, stop all imports of Russian yeah. oil to the United States. And as soon as he's like, yeah, of course, we're definitely going to do that, they turn right around and we're like, look how irresponsible he's being. We don't have enough gas. Yeah. You know? And so the myth that's being constructed goes like this. We're dramatically over-reliant upon Russian oil at the expense of domestic production. Mm-hmm. Like domestic production's way down and we're using too much Russian gas. And because of that. We should once, be drilling more here in the United yeah, States too, and be- right? And because of all of this, as soon as we cut off the huge amount of Russian gas that we're using, 10% or more of our supply, you know, of course gas prices are going to go up. So lies, I just want to do lies, a little lies. I just want to do a little bit of myth busting here. Yeah. The amount of Russian gas that we're using is at its lowest point since this has since we started using their gas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not gas, oil. it's oil, but yeah. say okay. It's 2 to 3% right now, mm-hmm. depending on the quarter we're talking about, right. okay? Right. Uh it's a very small amount. Mm-hmm. To put it another way, 97% of our gas, our oil, comes from places that are not Russia. Also, the, uh, our, our domestic production is higher than it's ever been. Our domestic production under the first year of the Biden administration is at the highest point that it has ever been in history since his, has started being measured. Right. Ever. Right. 
any administration ever. So any argument that 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 conservatives are trying to make where we are blaming Biden and the liberal policies of, you know, not allowing more drilling on natural lands in the United States and like, you know, these policy against Russia that like that's what's driving up prices yeah. is absolute lie through and through. There's zero truth to that. Zero truth. It's not backed up by what's actually happening. Yeah. So you know the wild thing? So like, um, obviously gas prices were starting to rise a little bit before the war, yep. the, before Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, and that was by and large because of like knockoff effects from the pandemic. Like during the pandemic, uh, people weren't driving as much. Because everyone so, stayed home, remember? Because we were all under quarantine. <laughs> right. And so, so they dramatically limited production and it's taken a while to ramp it back right. up. Right, so that was, a, that was an initial part of that. But with a lot of the, with a lot of the sort of supply chain type related stuff in the pandemic, oil companies, just like other companies who were dealing with su supply chain issues, used it as an opportunity to totally price gouge consumers. Yep. So like, you know, they were they were say, like on the surface, you know, the, the news is reporting, oh, it's, you know, prices are going up because of supply chains. And the companies are like, he, 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 guess what we can do? Yeah. We can blame it on supply chains and jack up our prices and then make record profits, which is what they've been doing. And doing, and doing huge stock buybacks to just shower cash upon their, their, uh, investors. their investors and yeah. also their executives right. who are compensated largely in stocks. So, so it's just really basically for personal personal greed. Right. Oh, absolutely. So this whole Russia war thing um, and the, the oil embargo that has been placed on that is another opportunity for oil companies to an be excuse. like an excuse. It's an, well, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's an opportunity for them to lie and mm -hmm. make more profits on their lies because they can be like, he, 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 see, there's a war and where everybody's like banning Russian oil and it's upending global oil markets. And therefore we're going to raise our prices and blame it on that. Meanwhile, rake in record profits. Yeah. I, I saw somewhere today, it was actually a retweet, uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had retweeted mm -hmm. this, that today's oil price, like it, right now, the, the oil price for oil is less than $100 a barrel. Yeah. It's inexpensive. Yeah. Like in terms of like oil prices, that's, that's kind of average. That's pretty normal. It's normal. And yet we have prices at the pump that are way bigger. Yeah. It's not because oil is expensive. No. It's not. It's because oil companies are using it as an opportunity to jack up prices on all of us and make massive profits for themselves and their investors. Yeah, it's really wild. It is. There should be regulation, you know? Oh, yeah. There should be regulation. And there should also be windfall taxes. Uh, yes. And Elizabeth Warren, bless her heart, always on the right side of stuff like this. Mm -hmm. She currently has a bill that she has sponsored, that she has written herself, uh, that's making its way through Congress. We'll see if it goes anywhere. There mm -hmm. are Republicans who are against this sort of thing. And to be fair, there are also Democrats who are against this sort of thing too, because there are a lot of Democrats corporatists. who are corporatists and who are in the pocket of the oil companies. Mm -hmm. So we'll see whether this gets anywhere. But the we, idea with the taxes that like it would be like... So I'll explain it. Yeah. Windfall taxes. The concept of windfall taxes is that it's possible to know how much profit a company generally makes on a yeah. certain, certain item. Yeah, you know what I mean? Good, uh -huh. And and if in a certain quarter their profit goes up more than a standard deviation, ah. a mathematically measurable discrepancy, yeah. then that is what's considered a windfall profit. It's not explainable by the market cycles, right? right. It's, it's like if it deviates from the market by more than a certain percentage, right. basically, then that's price gouging. By, like, by mathematical definition, you can tell mathematically uh -huh. that because the price is going up way more than it should under these market conditions, there's something else going on and that something else is them just cheating. That's just, just greed. That's just greed and price gouging. Mm -hmm. And so that kicks in a special like 90% tax. Mm -hmm. Man, they should And it's not flexible and it's, and it's relative. It mm -hmm. can rise. It's not pegged at a fixed threshold. The threshold fluctuates based on what the market is doing. It's an overage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They should not be calling this a windfall tax because windfall sounds like, oh, it's just happening. Yeah. They should call it a greed tax. Right? Right? Seriously. I need to call up Elizabeth Warren. I mean, we have talked on the phone before. No big deal. <laughs> so I should call her up. I talked with her on the phone too and I said a swear to her. <laughs> but in my heart of hearts, I think she appreciated it. Oh, she absolutely did. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So that's that's your answer. When you're, when you're Fox News watching relative starts to blame the Biden administration and these crazy liberals for high gas prices, your answer is, it's not because of any Biden administration policy. In fact, the policy was encouraged by Republicans. They're lying to you about the cause. The cause for your high gas prices is greed by oil companies who are using this opportunity to gouge us at the pump. That's your answer. That's the answer. That's the TLDR.
Easy. You're welcome. And if you need graphs to back it up, just message one of us. <laughs> I know where to find them. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, I have an item for this feels important Great. as well. What well, feels important we, to you today? You know, we have been, and it's still important, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, this just outright attack on on trans people and trans kids in yeah. particular. Yeah. And I saw a couple of things uh, this week in relation to that issue that um, that really felt relevant to me, and I wanted to bring them up. Um, there, sort of like two different aspects of this issue. Um, one is that is, is is regarding, and I think we touched on this last week. These new laws in a couple of states where they're trying to uh, they're, they're trying to criminalize uh, the act of parents giving gender affirming care to their trans kids. Yeah. Um, and and even even like so much as like if the parents try to take their kids out of state to get that care, they're trying to criminalize that as well. It's just absolutely bonkers. Which is just like that's not how interstate law works, right? That's, but that, that that won't happen. Well, but, don't say won't. We've got a Supreme Court that is activist, right wing, extremist. They're like they're doing it for abortion. Why wouldn't they do it for this issue? Like they don't mm. they don't want trans kids. They don't. They, here's the thing. Putin invaded Ukraine, right? Because Putin declared there is no Ukraine. Right. And there is, and therefore is bombing the shit out of them. Mm-hmm. Right-wing extremist conservatives in this country have declared that trans, that, that trans people aren't a thing. Right. And they will do everything to bomb the shit out of their existence. Right. That's the same, it's the same thing. Right. It's just so they, they cannot accept a real world in which trans people exist. Yeah. And therefore they are doing everything they can to make sure that they don't. Right. Because they need that, they need the the real world to fit their crazy town world in their brains. Right. Right. So here's this this thing that um uh I've came across this tweet um this week regarding this like criminalization effort. And it really just put it in stark perspective for me. And I wanted to share it. This person, uh at Della Morte is her name on Twitter, and it was just shared by somebody else that I follow. But um she says outlawing the existence of trans children and making not only their parents criminals for supporting them, but criminalizing anyone who doesn't inform on them Mm -hmm. is straight up exterminationist fascism. No exaggeration or hyperbole there. Yeah. Like this is like, you think about, you know, Nazi Germany. Sure. Anyone who was like harboring Jews. Sure. Or giving them aid or or comfort. yeah. Criminalizing those folks too. Yeah. Like it is straight up out of exterminate, like the, with the point of exterminating this population. Yeah. Right. That is the point. Yeah. And it really put it into stark relief. Like we have got to protect trans kids. Yeah, we do. We really do. Um, the other thing that related to this issue that was really thought provoking to me this week and, and, I'm so glad that of several different. I came across this general idea in several different places, um, but the, the the most succinct one was this one uh, tweet that I saw by a person named Sam at Sam at Sammy Cure um, on Twitter, and he says straight people will say that LGBTQ education isn't age appropriate. But we'll ask toddlers if they have a girlfriend. Yeah, right. Okay, so like this idea that you know that there's this whole movement, that whole don't don't say gay, um, you know, movement in Florida, right? That passed. Did, did DeSantis sign it? I don't know if he signed. I don't think he signed it yet. It's passed the legislature. Okay. Yeah. But like this idea that like they're they're saying that you know elementary school teachers can't talk about the fact that there are gay people. Right. Like so it can't is, bring it up. Yeah. It, I mean. It's it's incredible uh, that they're doing this, but like the idea that like and the argument they're making is that like when you talk to you know little kids about gay people, you're grooming them to be gay. That is so ludicrous. Doesn't make any sense on the face of it. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is that our culture, straight culture, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which is the dominant culture within our culture. That's why I said our culture to begin with. But the straight culture specifically grooms kids all the time. Oh, for sure. You know, like I saw this other video floating around uh, the internet this week where someone had made this cutesy little video of like a five-year-old showing up at some uh, at someone's house dressed in like a little mini tuxedo with like flowers and like going to the front door and being like, I'd like to date your your daughter, like talking to the dad, you mm-hmm. know, and like play. And then, they, and then the video like plays out this whole like mock courting, you know, video between five-year-olds. Okay, mm-hmm. like... Which fine, it's cute, whatever. Yep, sure. 
but those five-year-olds have not identified as being straight. No. But we're, and, and, and like, we're, we're like, we're, we're constantly grooming young people. Toward in, heterosexual behavior. Yes. Heteronormative behavior. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. so it's really, it's, it's, it's really good to look at that, you know? Yeah. And also, to, How about just we don't do it either way, you know what I mean? Well, yes. How about we Put just, out a range of options, make them aware that like any way that they're feeling is valid, give them names for all of them. Right. And then let them go nuts. But I think that like in terms of like my personal life, you know, like I I know that there have been before I was before I was aware of how uh internalized like straight culture dominance had, you know, had become inside me, you know, like 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 I I definitely would have, you know, made little jokes about little people having crushes on other little people of the sure. opposite sex. Sure. We gotta stop all of that. Like, you know, like none of that. None of it's not cute. It's not cute to have little people fantasizing, fantasizing about little people having little relationships. You know, like you gotta have a girlfriend, gotta have a boyfriend. No, no. none of that. None of it. Like, let's talk about all kinds of relationships and celebrate all kinds of relationships and all kinds of identities. It would have helped me a lot when I was a kid, for sure. So, really? you know, given how, given our age, like, you know, Gen mm-hmm. X, we, there wasn't a lot of talking about LGBTQ, like, alternative types of ways of being a human in the yeah. world, like, yeah. when we were kids either. Right. Um, you know, and I, my sexuality exists on a spectrum. Sure. No one's 100% anything, yeah. you know? And it has been, it has fluctuated over the course of my life. I identify, I identify as heterosexual and that's mostly what I am, but mm-hmm. I'm not 100% heterosexual. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was definitely curious about some non-heterosexual stuff when I was like 11, 12, mm-hmm. right? That sort of hinge point in your life. Puberty, we call yeah. it, you know? <laughs> when all the hormones happen, you start thinking all the thoughts you're going to think, you know? But mine were not all necessarily heterosexual thoughts, mm-hmm. you know? But there was just like this internalized thing that just because like no one had talked with me about any of that mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. especially at school, you know, you see messages in culture all of the time about yes. heteronormative relationships. Yeah. You kind of, you get that message, no prob. And when that's the only message you get and you don't get any other messages, like, you know, there are gay people, but when you're a kid, you're smart enough to understand that if people aren't talking about something that's obviously there, there's a reason for that and it's probably to do with you should be ashamed of it or something, right? right? Oh, yeah. And so you, you associate Absolutely. shame with it. Which is and why this law is Take that shame awful. on yourself. Yeah. And I did that. I just attached shame mm. to these exploratory, totally natural feelings that I was having yeah. and just shoved them way down inside and then dealt with them in a much uglier way, mm. still totally shame-based in mm. my 20s, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know? Like I eventually was able to explore those ideas, but I didn't feel comfortable doing it unless I was all full of drugs. And right. that was not a healthy oh, way to do that. Yeah. But it's the only way I could kind of break down those barriers of shame inside myself and kind of get past them. Yeah. Where if that had just been kind of normalized when I was a little person, if someone had told me when I was eight-year-old, you know, just, you don't have to do anything about this, but just so you know, sometimes men and women you know, are attracted to each other. Like those of you who have mommies and daddies, you know, that that's an example of that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people have two daddies or two mommies, and that's those are examples of relationships mm-hmm. where people find somebody of the same gender attractive in mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. And that's all you got to really say. You don't have to like say anything more about it. You can just describe the menu of options yeah. at a really simplistic level. You know what I mean? We don't need to get into envies, you know? Right. We don't need to get into like the more complicated ideas around gender and sexuality. Sure. But it's like, here's, here's the three basic options. You can do man-woman, you can do man-man, you can do woman-woman. That's, those are those are the three basics. Let's just start with that. It's a Neapolitan ice cream of gender and sexuality. And guess what? There's more combinations of all that. When you get older, you'll get more of that too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the, like, yeah. We don't have to. Yeah. yeah. It, it just needs to be. It just needs to be part of the conversation. It's, you know, it's it's good to think about how we can, um, how we can. Uh, change our own behavior and and thinking around this stuff and yeah. and 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 challenging the the stuff that has um, been pushed as normal in our culture, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And also, we really need to figure out how to deal with our evangelical Christianity problem because it's a huge fucking problem. Specifically, I mean, yes, I agree. But what do you mean? By, <laughs> what do you mean by it being a problem in this instance? And what do you mean by deal with it? I don't know what I mean by deal with it. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, what I mean by it being a problem is that, that evangelical Christianity is the reason that there is this huge push to exterminate gay people, LGBTQ mm-hmm. people, you know, because mm-hmm. in an evangelical world, that's not appropriate, doesn't, isn't supposed to exist. And they're trying to make it not exist. And they're trying to do that legislatively. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to do that, you know, punitively. And they're trying to do mm-hmm. that in a way that's going to destroy lives. 
It already is. It already is just right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know what we do about it. I really don't. Mm -hmm. I wish I had better answers. Uh, you know, there's supposed to be a, a separation between church and state in our country. We blew past that guardrail, I mean, decades ago. Yeah. So I'm not really sure how you, I don't think you put that back in the bottle realistically. I don't I don't know where this ends. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it ends somewhere good, frankly. Mm -hmm. But I also know that if we don't get our arms around it, get it under control, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think probably what we do realistically thinking about it is if you think about it from like a civil rights, you know, standpoint, which it is, it's civil rights, yeah. you know, uh, you, we just got to, we've got to win the legislative battles around this, which we're not currently winning everywhere. Well, I mean- And it, then it, opinion will follow. All of it goes back to- um, whether or not we actually have a representative democracy. Yeah. Because I think the, the majority, when polls are done on this kind of stuff, the majority of Americans, the vast majority of Americans, think that um, LGBTQ rights are to be upheld. Yeah, like that, right. that, that's that, like this, it's a very small minority who are pushing their values, I mean, I call it values, their points of view on yes. the rest of us. Um, it, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a tiny minority. And that's the problem with minority rule yeah. when you don't actually have representation democracy, the minority rule entrenches itself and, you know, places upon the rest of the population their own little narrow, pathetic, harmful point of view. Which is you why know? the evangelical right uh, fetishizes Putin. Because he right. managed to do successfully what they dream of doing in yeah. America. Yeah. And, and the grand irony in all this, and we're getting into a whole other discussion here about, like, the role of Christianity and all that kind of stuff. Like, I, I came out of the evangelical Christian church. I was brought up in it. And so I've I've got some deep perspective on that whole world, you know. Um, but but knowing and having learned about who the person of Jesus was, like mm -hmm. historical Jesus, mm -hmm. it doesn't look anything like what evangelical Christianity looks like. Like no, not it has nothing to do. So it's 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 so perverse, the the version of Christianity now. I'm 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 not, I don't identify as a Christian any longer, but I but now after having been out of that world for nearly a couple of decades, um I actually have a much deeper appreciation for the teachings and the person of Jesus than I ever did when I was in it, you know, because because frankly, when I was in it, what 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 that represented, it looked nothing like what Jesus actually taught or or led by example. It's like Gandhi had to say. What did he say? His famous quote about this was, "I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. <laughs> your Christians are so unlike your Christ." Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. So yes, um, agreed that we need to do something about it. Uh, but I think that the do something is is rooted in in terms of like our our country anyway. Like I, I really do think that we we deal we do something about that when we when we achieve actual representational democracy. And that's an uphill battle right now. Like we're in the middle of that fight. That yep. is something that you know we 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 cannot let Republicans get a, get in control of Congress or the White House again for a very long time until they get their freaking act together yeah. and, and get back back on board with democracy. Were they ever on board with democracy? I don't really Not know. Not fully, but they were more so than they currently are. Yeah, you know, and so like this is, it's, we're, we're in a five alarm fire right now. You yeah. know, like the-, the, the and, and we're heading to six. <laughs> you know, this election season in, 20, in November 2022 is going to be really important. You know, like we, we really need to do all we can to- um, to maintain for, to maintain democratic control of Congress, um, because any 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 back, any backsliding from that, we're just the chances of us actually getting fully multiracial representational democracy in this country are it becomes slimmer and slimmer. Yeah, and that that doesn't seem uh, acceptable. No, no. <laughs> so um, yeah. Let's do something let's. about it. Do we have anything more for this feels important? No. Well, let's cruise directly into the inspiration station. Inspiration station. Please. What you got, sugar? Let's do that. And then, you know, this is, I'm really glad that this is coming right off the heels of this last conversation that yeah. we just had about democracy and protecting trans kids and LGBTQ people and all that. Um, because that can feel very overwhelming. That can feel like a very uphill battle. It can feel very... Mm -hmm. It can feel very demoralizing in terms of looking around and seeing people who are so full of hate yeah. for other people. It's it it's crushing. Yeah, you know. So this morning I was reading Timothy Snyder's latest newsletter. Mm -hmm. You've heard us talk about him before on this podcast. He's a, an expert in Eastern European history, 
specifically with Ukraine and Russia. Specifically authoritarian regimes. Yeah. That's his specialty. So his, Tyranny. And his writing on uh, during this war so far has been so helpful. Um, today was particularly inspiring, and he was talking about how he spent the weekend um, in Vienna where there were there were some artists doing theater presentations of like readings, you know, in support of Ukraine or from people, you know, in Ukraine. I, I don't, couldn't really get a sense of exactly what it was, but it was definitely like a, a collection of scholars and artists and humanitarians coming together to, um, to just be together and, and, and share ideas and thoughts and solidarity with Ukraine. Right. Okay. Um, and so he wrote uh, a, a, bit, a bit about that. And his one of his points was he was saying, you know, as we observe how the Ukrainian people, like all of them, are a part of this resistance right now. It's like they everybody's doing their part yeah. to resist the um, invasion and occupation of the of the Russian military. Um, and we've obviously all been super inspired by their actions, mm -hmm, right? Like mm -hmm. we we've read the stories. Um, like I, there's, there's all around the world, we've been inspired by the the um, incredible resilience and um, and spirit of the Ukrainian people in in fighting for their country. Um, and he was Timothy Snyder was saying in his newsletter today that they that they the Ukrainians are consoling us, yes, like, with their behavior yes. like that. You know, he goes on. He goes because Ukrainians are resisting not just on the battlefield but as a society. They console us all. Mm -hmm. Every day they act, excuse me, every day they act is one when we can reflect and hope. People do have values. The world is not empty. Yeah. People do find courage. There are things worth taking risks for. Yeah. I loved people do have values. Oh, man. It has so felt in America over the past five years, a lot of the time that like we are just careening into this valueless, like post-values society yes. where everything's on the table, everything's an acceptable alternative to mm -hmm. everything else, mm -hmm. where like democracy and fascism are are equally good things that can be deba debated in good <laughs> faith with one another, right. which they can't, no. you know what I mean? The idea that like LGBTQ rights and anti-LGBTQ rights are the same. No. And you just, you, when you're NPR and you're writing an article, you just get one quote from each side and yeah. let the reader decide. Yeah, no. That's And that's not how that works. Like the the valuelessness espoused in our media, yeah. both sides journalism is the ultimate rejection of values, and it's just it's got to stop. It's it's appalling. And to hear him really seize upon what I feel is true in this mm -hmm. moment that it really just really it really shows up the 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 lie in that, mm. and it really makes it true that you know we do have values that at the end of the day, actually we if we're not just doing intellectual bullshit games with each other, there is a right and a wrong, and we mm -hmm. can all point at which is which. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you, you, we can all point at which is which when we take a good long look at what it means to be human. Yeah. <laughs> we know. Yeah. We know. Yeah. But it was just such a great, I just loved his words. And, and that there are things worth taking risks for, you know? Like, it is easy to want to give up in the face of such... Horrific stuff, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, we can't though, no, because humanity is worth fighting for. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just felt really inspired by that, so wanted to share it. Love it. Yeah. Shall we end with some gratitude? Crank up. Heck yeah. Let's crank it up. What you got? All right. Here's what I've got, and mine's a little personal with with like with like you and me. Oh. Okay. I am grateful uh, this week for how intentional and good you and I have become at communicating through disagreements. Mm -hmm. I was really thinking about that. Like yesterday, you and I had like two different disagreements on two different things, <laughs> yeah. you know? And like we know each other really, really well. And so when we have a disagreement about something, I think it can feel jarring. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. uh, but we have just gotten so good at intentional communication mm -hmm. and working through it, you know, identifying mm -hmm. when there's some, when there's still a need to talk. Yeah. Not walking away. Yeah. You know, circling back and being loving with one another through the process. Like even as we're mad about whatever <laughs> the thing is, yeah. I think we've both, we've both gotten really good at also keeping in mind the bigger picture, which is that this is the person I love. 
And, and I'm it's on okay. your team. Yeah. yeah. And it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's great. That's I'm, what I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for that too. Yeah. What do you Mine th- is much more just a mundane moment. I wanted to, I was trying to think of just like a, because sometimes, you know, I think when I, when I think about my gratitude practice and I do this, I've been really great about doing this every night before I go to, go to sleep. I go into our Misfit Star social network mm-hmm. and I post, I try to do five things each night, you know, that I'm grateful for. And I think sometimes when I'm doing that, I feel a pressure to like, Say something profound, yeah. you know, but that's really not the point, right? The point it's kind is kind of the opposite. Of the the point. point is really just for, to direct my attention toward even tiny little moments of joy in my day that I can express gratitude for, yeah. you know. And one that came to me yesterday, even though it was a day in which I felt discombobulated and agitated, and we had a couple of little disagreements, mm-hmm. you and I, and we had to work through them. Um, when I was making dinner and there was music playing in the kitchen. It's just a little moment. It's just a little snapshot, like a a, a one second little snapshot mm-hmm. of time that I, I, f- I felt joyful to be listening to music in the kitchen while I was making dinner. Like I just Love it. loved that moment and I wanted to express gratitude for it. And mm. honestly, like sometimes on the on the harder days, like in, you know, in the middle of sort of feeling a little bit emotionally the last couple of days, you mm-hmm. know, it's really extra important, I think, on those days for me to notice those tiny things. Yeah. Because they really help buoy me through whatever turmoil I'm experiencing yeah. emotionally. Yeah. Love so it. Grateful for that. Good. Yeah. And we're grateful for you, listeners. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being here, for giving us a little bit of your attention today, listening to us jabber on about stuff that is important to us. Yeah. Um, we really appreciate that you spend time with us. It really means a lot. Yeah. Um, and it makes us feel like we're spending time with you. Yeah. And that's special. Yeah. And those of you who are supporters of Misfit Stars, uh, thank you. Mm-hmm. You are people who are giving us small dollar monthly contributions to fuel the engine of all the stuff that we do, not just this podcast, but uh, the new album that we're making, this new you know journaling project we're sharing with our community. Um, that the- song that you heard earlier in this podcast was funded directly by the people who are sending us small dollar monthly contributions. That's right. That's what makes that happen. Yep. Um, and in addition to that, all of the incredible mentoring work that mostly Jamie does with other mm-hmm. artists, um, doing all sorts of mentoring on... Uh, music production and recording and engineering and... I've had such a rewarding week with that, just as a small side note. So, you know, like Shannon said, I mentor people in becoming better at making home recordings, Mm -hmm. you know, producing, engineering, mixing, just like, you know, technical stuff, a lot of it, and also sometimes procedural, you know? And I've got two people I'm mentoring right now. One uh, man from uh, Boise and one woman from uh, upstate New York. Mm -hmm. And they both just had really banner weeks this week. Like they, breakthroughs? Breakthroughs. They each had in their own way for where they're at dramatic breakthroughs. Cool. And it's so rewarding to see it happen. Just like getting a recording back on MP3 from them and like listening to it and being like, mm. whoa, things have changed. And listener, hear this. If you're supporting Misfit Stars, you are supporting Jamie offering those things to those people in their life. Like, like you're making this happen. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. It really means a lot. If you're listening to this and you are not yet a supporter of Misfit Stars, we would ask you to become one. Yeah. You go to misfitstars.com slash support mm-hmm. and you can choose your own adventure there about how many dollars per month you'd like to send our way. Um, it is the aggregation of lots of people doing small dollars that makes this whole thing work. And it's so you'll crowdsourcing. Be, yeah, you'll become you'll be becoming part of a little army of folks that are supporting uh, the work that Jamie and I do and we would be so grateful and it would mean a lot to us to have you on board. So misfitstars.com slash support. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I think that's it for this week. I think so. Y'all, we'll be back next week. Uh, But until then, please take good care of yourselves and be good to each other. Yeah, we love y'all. See you later. See ya.